And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is the Reverend Rick Anderson. He's known as performing uh, memorized scripture dramas in period dress. He uses the full text of scripture, and he's done things like Isaiah the prophet, uh, a Hebrew, recites Hebrews, uh, Paul to the Romans, and that sort of thing. Reverend Rick Anderson, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, it's great to be with you, Dan. Rick, it's a, it's an honor to have you on with us. A friend of mine recommended that we contact you, and uh, to our listeners, they'll recognize his name, and that's Jerry Wiss. And he says, you really ought to contact this uh, Rick Anderson, uh, because, you know, today is Passover. We're a Christian ministry However, there are wonderful ties that go all the way through Scriptures, and Passover was such a a key part of the Scriptures, and it pointed to something very special. So we want to ask you about Passover. As we do that, maybe as a beginning starting point, Rick, you were raised, I believe, in a Jewish family. Can you tell us a little bit about your own personal history? Yeah, sure, Dan. I actually grew up with Passover, we had Passover in our home uh, every spring, so I'm familiar with the uh, the Jewish liturgy and the festival meal, and it was the big event for uh, our family. So, um, and then of course when I came to faith in, in Jesus, uh, I could see the fuller connections, the uh, the fulfillment of Passover, which I never understood beforehand. Can you help us remember? How did the first Passover, what actually happened, according to the record? Sure. The, the first uh, Passover uh, was right before the Exodus, actually. The, um, Moses was told by God to tell the Israelites to take a uh, first-year unblemished lamb and um, slay him, and this is when they were in Egypt, preparing to leave after... Um, the nine of the ten plagues, the last one was the worst, the death of the firstborn. And uh, they splattered the blood of this lamb on the lintels and the doorposts of every Hebrew home. And then the angel of death at the last worst plague uh, covered the whole land, slew the firstborn of every man and beast. But when the angel saw the blood of this innocent lamb, he passed over the homes, and this is where we get the name, Passover, and they were spared because of this lamb, and then they made the exodus from Egypt. That's yeah, a beautiful portion of Scripture. So God passed over his people. He, he didn't kill the firstborn. How does this then work out in the record of the Hebrews, a meal and all that goes along with it? Well, as with Christian communion, Dan, they were told to remember. And actually, this is the, the precursor to Christian communion. They were told to remember this exodus from Egypt every year when they ate the Passover lamb in the land of Israel. And every other Passover lamb was commemorative of the Passover lamb that had spared their ancestors. So that was the meal that they have. Now, it wasn't, they didn't just sit down to have supper. They had an actual ritual meal, and Scripture does describe the kinds of foods they were to eat during Passover. Many of these same foods are eaten in Jewish homes 
today. Of course, Jewish homes cannot have an actual Passover because there's no more Passover uh, lamb, there's no more temple sacrifice. Uh, so what Jews do is actually commemorative uh, as well. So you growing up in your home, you celebrated with your parents Passover? Sure, our family got together and that was our big, uh, uh, almost almost a Thanksgiving type meal. Yeah, and uh, so that's what we, we did. We sat down and we had the we drank the uh, the four cups of wine, and we ate the bitter herbs. The scripture mentions the need to eat bitter herbs with uh, with uh, the meal, and we had the unleavened bread, or as Jews call it, matzah, and uh, the various other uh, things that became not only that that came that became part of the modern Jewish Passover meal. Uh, some of them are prescribed in scriptures, and others were added by Jewish tradition. Okay, right. Just um, help me understand also, your background, I believe there are several wings, I guess you could say, of Jewish denomination. Can you help us, our listeners, myself included, understand that, the Orthodox, etc.? Yeah, sure. The Orthodox today make up about 11% of the worldwide Jewish population. They are closest akin to the Pharisees of the ancient times. Um, and there are various oh, divisions among the Orthodox. Some of them dress like the Amish do, uh, the Hasidim, and uh, there are others that are various micro-denominations uh, within the Orthodox. But the Orthodox, generally speaking, dress in a distinctive way, and they, they are the ones who are strictest in their observance of rabbinic tradition, not strictest in observance to what the Bible says necessarily, but as but strictest in their observance to what the rabbis say that the Bible says, if you can follow me. In other words, they're pretty much your modern-day Pharisees. Then there is a... And, and for most of uh, Jewish history after, after the New Testament, most Jews were Orthodox in one way or another. Then there is a middle branch called the Conservatives, and then there is a more liberal wing... Actually, they're called branches of Judaism. The more liberal wing is called Reform. It has nothing to do with Reformed Christianity, but Reform is, oh, kind of like um, just a more lax attitude towards what the rabbis said. The one in the middle is the branch I came from. It's called Conservative, and that kind of draws from both worlds, from the Orthodox and from the Reform. It tries to strike a middle ground. It's an American uh, phenomenon. It, it grew out of the United States. So 11% Orthodox, about, oh, maybe 40% Reform, uh, and about 40%, yeah, 40% uh, Conservative. And the other, there are other groups, but these are the three main branches of Judaism. I came from the middle branch. Okay, yeah, that's helpful. So as you were growing up very much in a Jewish family, did you go through things like... Um What's it called at age 13 there? Yeah, we did that. Bar Mitzvah. Right. Made a son of the covenant. That's what that's called. All right. Yes. Jesus had one of them as well. Yes. Now, um, what happened? You're drawn to Christianity. What What happened in your life such that, that that took place? Yeah, Dan, I'll tell you that, but it has little to do with actual Passover, but I don't mind digressing. That's fine. Uh, it was Isaiah 53, actually. Um, I was going to uh, Muhlenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and there was a controversy on campus 
this, these were in the days when, uh, if you remember Billy Joel, the singer, he, he was. This is a, his early days. He was he was playing at college campuses uh, before he became nationally famous. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So he was. It was at the time that he was singing. We're living here in Allentown, and he was in Allentown uh, performing that song. <laughs> And it was 1975, and at, the, that, at that time there was a controversy on campus. The, uh, the Jewish Students' Union at Muhlenberg College was uh, in an uproar over uh, what the Christian Students' Union had done. The Christian Students' Union had invited some Messianic Jews on campus. Uh, it actually happened to be Martin and David Chernoff. Uh, from, uh, they, they have a, a Messianic synagogue in Philadelphia. And, and they came on campus at the same time I was considering the claims of Isaiah chapter 53 because uh, um, I had been told that this talked about the coming of the Messiah. And, of course, in Judaism, there is a belief in the coming of a Messiah. But they certainly don't believe it's Jesus. But I read Isaiah 53 with an open mind, and, uh, and uh, I felt the presence of God. How can I say it in a better way? I don't think I could. I mean, it was as real to me at that time as, uh, as a person would be in a room. And uh, I saw in Isaiah 53, which is sometimes called the forbidden chapter in Judaism, that this was indeed speaking about Jesus. Um, and, uh, of course, to backtrack a bit, Dan, uh, Jews accept everything up to the book of Malachi as their scriptures. That doesn't mean they all believe that it's the Word of God. Most of them don't, but they think at least it, it is a holy legend, at least, and has some, you know, it's their scriptures. They don't all believe it's the Word of God. Most of them don't. And I certainly didn't, but I read that and I said, uh, holy smokes, it sounds like a whole lot like Jesus. And I had spoken to, oh, three or four rabbis about that, and their answers were all different, but basically I was convinced that uh, as Jews, uh, we missed the boat on this one. And uh, that's how it happened. It was reading Isaiah chapter 53. Mm. Yeah, that's helpful. Um Yes, it is a little bit of a side detour, but I just couldn't wait to ask you that. Um, so getting back to Passover, how are we to look at Passover today as Christians? Well, I mean, we got communion from that. And the point I wanted to make about Passover is you can't, Dan, you can't really understand a lot of the language of the New Testament unless you understand something about Jewish custom. It's just not possible. Let me give you an example. Um, Let's look at 1 Corinthians 7. Paul said, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know, said Paul, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Purge out or remove the old leaven so that you may be a new lump of dough as you indeed are leavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Let us therefore keep the feast not with the old leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. End of quote. That's 1 Corinthians, I think it's 5-7, and I'm giving kind of a paraphrase of what the NIV translation says. But basically, Paul, St. Paul is using the language of Passover to describe removing sin from the midst of a fellowship of people, removing hypocrisy from them. But he's using the language of Passover and unless we understand that, unless we understand something about the, the, the Jewish festival of Passover, including the other Jewish holidays, you really don't have a, a good grasp of 
of the language Paul is using. Uh, that's an example. Another example is at the Last Supper, they had, Jesus had a Seder meal. A Seder meal is, is, is the name of the Passover meal. And it was here that he instituted the Lord's Supper when he broke the, uh, the, the unleavened bread, which was part of the, uh, the, the, the custom of the day. You would hold up a piece of, of this matzah, this unleavened bread, and say, uh, and the master of the feast would say, this is the bread of affliction which our forefathers ate in the land of Egypt. All who are hungry, let them come and eat. And, and the master of the feast, the head of the meal, would break the matzah and distribute it to everyone. And during this feast, Jesus held up a piece of this unleavened bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, that's one example of about 12 other examples that Christ did during that last Passover meal, that Seder meal. And this, uh, so I don't have time to go into all the 11, but when he did this, he showed that he was the fulfillment of this, of this meal and of this lamb. After all, when Paul is quoting 1 Corinthians 5-7, and he says, Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us, what's he doing? He's showing that the feast had its fulfillment in the life of Jesus. See? Hmm. Just to give you probably the most salient example. Yes. So... One thing that comes out of this is how important it is for us who have not had the benefit of full immersion in the Hebrew way of thinking so that we can better understand the New Testament is for us to read and read and read uh, the Old Testament, it seems. Yeah, yeah, it's important to read, but whenever we do read, Dan, whenever Christians do read the Old Testament, they read through a certain perspective and sometimes Christians have a, a perspective that that isn't uh, too good, so you can read into things. Mm-hmm. So well, the reason I'm saying this is um, a lot of uh, Jewish tradition that has come down to us today about how modern Jews celebrate the Passover is just what it is, Dan. It's tradition that it's extra-biblical. Uh, there are certain customs in Passover that simply were added and have little to do with uh, what the Bible has to say. Fortunately for us, most of what's done in the modern Jewish Passover can be traced back to the Bible. Mm-hmm. But not all. Okay. Uh, Pastor Rick Anderson is on the phone line with us today. He's talking about Passover. And, Pastor Rick, what are some Old Testament passages that would be helpful for us to read as we contemplate Passover and then make the connection to the New Testament? Well, Dan, I'm going to read off a list of verses that I have compiled over the years. And if anybody wants that list, they could contact your radio station, and you could contact me, and I would send them the list. Okay. Okay? So let me give you a couple of them. Exodus 12, 12. This shows the establishment of the first Passover. It shows the importance of, of the Lamb's blood and the reason for the name Passover. Okay? Uh, Exodus 12:38 shows that the People who left Egypt weren't just ethnic Jews. It was a mixed multitude of people, including Egyptians. And this shows the nature of God's acceptance. It's not by ethnicity, but it's by adoption. Okay, so this... So, uh, okay, um, 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8 shows St. Paul's use of Passover 
And the use of Passover language to illustrate the ideal quality of New Testament worship he uses the language of Passover. It's important to understand Passover to understand what Paul's talking about. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 26, this is where Jesus says, this is my body. He did this at Passover. Uh, Christ's fulfillment of the, of the ritual meals, eating of the matzah and the drinking of the wine. This is where we're... Jesus is basically saying to, to, the, to, the, to the Jews of his day, I fulfilled this. Here I am. I am the fulfillment of the Passover. Uh, John chapter 13 through 17, this is the famous Passover discourse. It is here in these four chapters, Christ said all this during the meal at Passover, and it shows his fulfilling of, of the meal's Haggadah, that is the telling of the story of the Exodus. See, let me backtrack a bit. The purpose of Passover is to retell the story of the Exodus and then apply it in a homiletical way to the people seated uh, around the meal. And in, a, in essence, saying, we were delivered from Egypt, This is, and, and even we today, and, and this is why we should give God, th- God thanks. He delivered us by, the, by the, uh, the sacrifice of this lamb and the saving of us from the, the worst of the plagues. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 55. Here in this passage, it shows uh, the first century rabbinical schools with their uh, rabbis and their pilgrims arriving in Jerusalem for the Passover. And this is when they would come from all over, all over the, uh, the region, and they would attend in Jerusalem. It was required that they attend in Jerusalem, sacrifice a lamb in the temple, and then uh, all the whole Jewish world was supposed to assemble in Jerusalem from wherever they were, and that shows that. Psalms 120 through 124, these are the so-called Psalms of Ascents, meaning to go up. And these would be sung by first-century pilgrims uh, in their return to Jerusalem from all over the world during their climb up to Mount Zion, where the temple was, the stone temple, and that was during Passover. And that was also, they did this, they, they would sing these Psalms uh, during Passover and during Pentecost and during the Feast of Booths, the three main feasts uh, of the Jews where they were required to return. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 18, shows the Passover purification, including the removal of leaven from the dwelling. And this is where they made ready the Passover. This is where the disciples did that, which meant that they cleaned the room where they were going to eat this meal from all stuff that had risen yeast in it. Uh, Luke 12, I'm not going to read them all, just do a few more. There's not enough time. Luke 12, chapter 1, here Jesus says uh, to his disciples, Beware of the leaven, or beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And this, is, this shows Christ's use of the, of the earthly purification ritual to illustrate its ultimate spiritual significance. Uh, let me put that in plain, plain English. He's telling the disciples to get rid of yeast, but not from their homes, from their hearts. So he's using the language that was used during Passover to purify a home and make it kosher for Passover. He's saying, in essence, do this in your lives, do this in your heart. Don't just do it in your home. Okay? Um, Exodus 12, verse 8, and Numbers 9, verse 11, shows the, the, the Torah's requirement that the lamb must be eaten with bitter herbs. The Torah w- w- was the first five books of the Bible. That's just another name for that. And it says that the lamb has to be eaten with bitter herbs. Jews still eat the lamb with bitter herbs today. Um, Acts 5.35 and Acts 22, verse 3, 
shows a New Testament reference to Rabbi Gamaliel. I'm going to stop with this one, Dan. If anyone wants the rest of these passages, they could contact your radio station. I would send it to them. Um, but in these two passages of Acts, it shows a New Testament reference to Rabbi Gamaliel. Now, every year at Passover, part of the, the ritual meal was to quote Rabbi Gamaliel. And I remembered every year we would say this. Rabbi Gamaliel used to say that whoever is master of the feast and does not explain the significance of the bitter herbs, the unleavened bread, and the lamb has not done his duty. Mm. And Rabbi Gamaliel is quoted. Now, the only place in the, in, in the whole Bible Rabbi Gamaliel is mentioned is the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And here in Acts 5 it mentions Rabbi Gamaliel, and Acts 22 it mentions Rabbi Gamaliel because he was the, uh, he was the mentor of St. Paul. Paul said, I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. That's what he said in Acts 22. And in Acts 5, it shows, it shows Gamaliel saying to, uh, to the, his fellow Pharisees, be careful what you do to these disciples of Jesus, because if this be of God, uh, you cannot fight against it. Uh, if it be of man, it will come to nothing. I'm just paraphrasing. Anyway, that, oh, let me give you one more. This is important. John 13... Verse 21 and verse 26 shows Jesus and Judas Iscariot in a dipping ceremony. Now, if they are dipping pieces, it call, in, the, in the King James it will say they dipped the sop, meaning a, a soggy piece of bread. They dipped the sop into a dish and then they ate it. Well, my point is there was a dipping ceremony at the time of Christ where you would, everybody would dip a piece of this unleavened bread into a dish and then eat it. And this was, the, the, it was likely the bitter herbs that they ate. And what, what, what they were supposed to do is to taste the bitterness of slavery that they were, that they, that their ancestors were in bondage to, to give them, and, and uh, of course it was very bitter to the taste. And when Jesus dipped that in the dish with Judas Iscariot, in essence he is tasting the bitterness of what he's about to endure. And let me just stop there, but that gives you some example of how relevant Passover is to the New Testament and New Testament understanding. Yeah, that is that is very, very helpful, Rick. Now that Christ has come, help us understand what we should do as Christians. I don't think we want to go back into the Old Testament types and shadows and ceremonies, do we? Oh, no, of course not. Um, no, the idea is simply to understand what was going on at Passover. That's all. Mm -hmm. uh, it. If in doing so, in understanding that, whenever Christians have the Lord's Supper, when they have Christian communion, it'll be all the more meaningful to them. That's all I'm suggesting. Oh, that's that's very helpful. Absolutely. If a person would like to get in touch with you and have you come to their organization, their church, whatever, there may be a limit how far you travel for these uh, scripture dramas, but how would they go about contacting you or or visit your website, whatever? All right, Dan. Well, I, you know, there's two different things I do. I do scripture dramas, but that's separate from, from the other thing that I do. And what I do is I do Passover seders, uh, and I explain the relevance of what Jesus has done and the fulfillment of that. I also do the five other Jewish holidays. So I can do a holiday presentation or scripture drama, uh, but since we're talking about Passover, let me let me talk about the, the Passover seders that, that uh, I do. And uh, they can simply contact me. I have a phone number. Uh, or they can contact my organization's uh, website. The website is www.kayim.org, 
chaim.org. That's C-H-A-I-M dot org. Or just call me on the phone, um, 856-313-3358. Oh, that's beautiful. And thank you so much. Today we've been talking with Reverend Rick Anderson. The organization, if you want to get a hold of him, and the website is chaim.org. And the spelling on that website is C-H-A-I-M dot O-R-G. And Rick, thank you so much for shedding a lot of light on the discussion today. Yeah, thank you, Dan, and thanks for this station, Redeemer Broadcasting. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a light to the area. Well, praise the Lord. And dear listener, this entire episode is up on our website. Please check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Be sure to join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. The blood that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Table love.